Hi, this is Dave Pryor for Leading Agile Sound Notes. Before starting with the podcast, I just want to mention a few upcoming classes that we have. You can always find information about all of our upcoming classes by going to leadingagile.com slash training. We've got a CSM happening in Atlanta on January 9th and a CSM happening in Washington, D.C. also on January 9th. The D.C. class is going to be taught by my friend Chris Lee. Uh, on January 11th, we'll be doing a CSPO in Atlanta. And on the 12th, Chris Lee is going to be doing a CSM in Virginia. We're also going to be finishing out the month by doing a CSM followed by a CSPO in San Francisco. So the CSM happens on January 23rd and the CSPO is on the 25th. So those are our classes for January. I'd encourage you to go to leadingagile.com slash training to find out some more information about them. And I hope to see you there. Thanks. Stop. I messed up. It helps if I hit record. Okay. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> it's that kind of Friday. All right. Yes, it is. Hi, welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. My name is Dave Pryor. Today, Devin Hedge has joined me, and we're going to talk about uh, a new topic, something that Devin's been focused on, which is kind of a big thing, and I'm coming to it fairly new, so I'm going to be asking lots of uh, basic questions about it to try to, to try to understand it better. And hopefully that will be helpful for you if you're listening as well. Devin is an enterprise transformation consultant at Leading Agile. Devin, say hi to the folks. Hey, everybody. Um, and before we get into the topic, can you talk a little bit about your background so that they get to know you a little better? Sure. So started as a military officer in communications and uh, then got into development as I uh, got back into the civilian life. Development into development management management into operations management, and uh, that moved into systems engineering and uh, in a couple of large places, some of the, like, uh, uh, some places I can't talk about, but, you know, pretty large databases that capture a whole lot of information about a whole lot of people. I'll just say that. So, been around, and then I got into agile coaching. So, that that's kind of how I landed here. All right, so today we're going to focus on Agile IT operations. And before I start asking lots of rudimentary questions, Devin, can you talk a little bit about what that actually means and in the context of software as well? Absolutely. So Agile IT operations is often confused with DevOps. And they are related, but not the same. Agile IT operations is actually dealing with building out the infrastructure, which DevOps then sits on top of running the company, basically, after application gets into production. Okay. So how does, so the, the two of them have to be fairly closely connected, I would imagine that. Absolutely. One is actually building the runway for DevOps to run, uh, land on. Okay. And is it, I just want to make sure that I'm not kind of thinking about this in the wrong way. I would say that if they're building the runway for DevOps to run on, DevOps is kind of building the runway for everything else to happen. That's correct. Okay, so then if you're having trouble with the Agile IT operations, that's obviously going to have an effect on your ability to be successful with DevOps. Absolutely. In fact, what we often find is uh, most folks who are doing the Agile transformation or Agile adoption, they focus on the development teams, then they focus on DevOps, and then they're like reaching this upper boundary, right? And they're like, why isn't things, why aren't things going as fast as we need them to? And then they realize, oh, wait, our operations team isn't, you know, supplying the environment fast enough for us to be truly agile. So this is kind of, in terms of the way transformation has evolved, I want to ask, check it on two different things here. So one is that it seemed to me like DevOps kind of 
hit a peak a couple years ago, and then it kind of got quiet. And now it's I'm hearing more and more people talk about that again. Are you finding that it's kind of picking up again? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know why? Uh, like, what is causing that to happen? I, I think it's because people have tried, been successful, gotten some success, and now they're ready to go to the next level. So that's one. I think the other one is they've tried. And they've tried to scale and fallen on their face. Okay. Or or another one is just they've reached that upper boundary of how fast they can go, and it's just not meeting the market. So, so that was so. My second question was going to be: it, with regular old timey agile transformation, everything seemed to kind of get slammed into by leadership not being able to move fast enough. And now you're saying that with DevOps, if that was supposed to fix a lot of that, we're back in the same place. It's, we it's, are. Okay, so the leadership and the way that the operations are set up are, are still being the bottleneck for everything else becoming more successful. It, it is. And, and I just see it as evolution, right? So uh, in the theory of constraints, the bottleneck moves around, right? So the bottleneck first starts out as software development teams. And then it becomes leadership and program management. And then it becomes, you know, product itself, and then, okay, we got that straightened out, but it's still not going fast enough. So then we go to DevOps and the technical practices. We bring in test automation. That all gets us faster. And then the bottleneck moves to IT operations. So do you, is there, how prominent is the awareness of this as an issue? Uh, I think it's there. It's very prominent. But it's a, in terms of priorities, how mature is the company in their journey and their transformation and how far along that transformation have they gotten before it becomes a higher priority than, say, something else like product? Okay, so this hasn't yet reached the stage which it may get to at some point where people are throwing it around as an excuse for not being faster. It's something they're still becoming aware of. Um, it's a mixed bag. So okay. some companies you know, have been doing this for like 12, 15 years now. They're, they're keenly aware of it. Um, they're already making adjustments those that have gotten past the early adopter stage, they're, that they're just now becoming aware of. Oh, yeah, I got to deal with that too. Okay. Uh, uh, it, it really also has to do with how how large and complex the organization is, and structurally how they are designed, because the structure of IT operations varies so much from company company company. Yeah. So, so there's not specific things they can watch out for, and we can say this is how you know that thing's about to happen. Uh, I think the big thing that you should look for, the key there, is is DevOps able to build the different environments at the rate that the development teams need them to? If they can't, then that's pointing back at IT operations. Okay. So one of the things you mentioned when we were getting ready to do the interview, which I'd like you to comment on if you could, is you were talking about there being a threshold to how fast – things could go and that it was dependent upon agile IT operations. But you, you talked about speed creating dependencies. Can you explain what that means in this context? Certainly. So as uh, a development team is building out features, they may see one, two sprints down the road that if they're using Scrum, uh, that they um, are going to need to spin up a whole bunch of servers to run different uh, application services on those servers where they didn't need that before. DevOps in a highly mature organization or in cloud is able to just literally click a button, tailor that to provision that server. Right. 
uh, for a bunch of different operations. They can use orchestration tools that either Azure uses or that uh, Amazon, you know, in the cloud, that's all great. But most organizations that are going to the cloud still have legacy systems that are in their data center, even if it's a private cloud. Those systems have to be able to move at the same rate, literally click a button off of a service catalog, and 10 to 15 minutes later, it's provisioned. But that, how is that even possible? Uh, automation. Okay. Right? So you, okay. It's, it's literally the same principles that you apply over on a scrum team that has now moved into test automation, test first development. You apply those in a modular way using some of the orchestration tools that, that are out there like Chef and Puppet and a couple others that are out there. Okay, so you're going to have to develop the ability to have your, you know, just create this stuff on the fly within the organization, and not just the technical infrastructure for it, but also from a process and approval standpoint, you're going to have to be able to do it that quickly as well. Absolutely, you have to recognize how governance shifts in most IT operations. Governance is a big thing because you know this is the foundation of the whole IT infrastructure. You're not going to want to make changes that can take down a whole company. I had one company that I was dealing with that literally the entire company was down for three days because of a network outage caused by a configuration change and no one can figure out what was going on. You don't want to ever be in that situation. You don't want to be Delta, right? Where Delta, I I love Delta, big fan of Delta, but Delta hadn't done their disaster recovery due diligence and run enough drills to understand that they had a breaker system in their data center that literally if one of the breakers went out, the backup system couldn't handle the load. And so they, it took down their whole system. Yeah. Well, literally I, I've got other clients that are really right there because they haven't been investing in that. And agile puts stress on that in such a way that the speed that things are going to come at the it operations organization, if they're not ready, DR gets threatened. Well, um, I, I want to mention one thing really quick, and I'm going to say this because I, I think I'm clarifying something you just said, but I want to make sure nobody misunderstands it. If you don't have DR, disaster recovery plans that are you know well-tested and well-thought-out in place, Agile's not going to fix your lack of disaster recovery. <laughs> if you need disaster recovery, you need to do that one way or the other, but Agile would make issues more easy to spot maybe. Is that right? Fair to say? Uh, I would say easy to spot or may even cause you to actually fundamentally have to change how you think about disaster recovery. Okay. So for a lot of organizations, it's a have your primary data center and then have another data center that is, uh, you know, off on a different power grid. That's a warm site that everything's sitting there for you just to fall traffic over. Yeah. Well, agile deployments are going so quickly that you have to know how to, to deploy in an automated, orchestrated way to your primary data center plus over to the DR site and have tested that failover in a way that um, you know allows you to still move fast. So I want to just I want to check with you on this and make sure that I mean one of the things I appreciate about the ideas that you that you have and whenever we talk I always feel like you're worried about stuff that I'm going to end up worrying about in a couple months. 
So I like having the kind of like I can get ready for a thing aspect to it because you're kind of a little further out there on the edge of the curve sometimes. But when you talk about this agile, the agile aspect of this work, I'm trying to picture it in my head and I'm imagining that if I'm at a company, I need a server set up. I fill out a couple buttons on a form, hit submit. That server is created virtually. Whatever validation has to be done is put into place. Then also some way it is replicated on, you know, like you just said, our worm site, wherever. Um, all of that stuff is happening automatically behind the scenes without human intervention. Is that That's correct? Okay. And, and for most organizations, that that presents a huge challenge. Yeah, because the I, reason for that okay. is that you've got you got security that's usually involved. So you've got to harden your uh, network devices. You've got certain security parameters around firewall configuration. You've got uh, controls like Sarbanes-Oxley controls that you have to put in place that show what configuration changes are going to be made, why they're being made, what effect and impact that's going to have on the network, what impact that's going to have on the systems. Ultimately, um, uh, same goes for uh, was it PCI compliance controls. So you've got all these controls that are in place, plus hardening and penetration testing and all these things. In most organizations, those things take weeks. Yeah, maybe even months. Well, uh, so I was gonna I was gonna interrupt you and ask you like I'm trying to think of the last time I watched somebody do some of this work, and it was always like the fat guy in the server room is just hunched over a machine for two days and you can't figure out what he's doing because he's trying to configure it to make it work right on the network without bringing everything down. Is that totally gone? In this case, that guy, we call him Brent. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I'm stealing from the book, uh, uh, The Phoenix Project. Okay, right. <laughs> that guy is the best guy in the company and we have to learn how to leverage that guy, not in production, but as a subject matter expert to the agile uh, infrastructure teams, right? Okay, so when you talk about, just so the folks know, Phoenix Project is Gene Kim's book that most people read as sort of the way of starting to learn about DevOps because it's told in a story fashion. It's a great explanation of how this stuff works. It, it is, uh, and, and I, would, I would say go pick up all three of his books. The, the one before that, before Agile, was really a thing is the Visible Ops Handbook. Um, that basically gives you a roadmap for how to take control of your IT organization if you feel it's out of control. Um, it, it totally mirrors what Leading Agile's methodology is, which is literally get control of the system, use metrics and structure to drive consistency and transparency, and then once you've got consistency and transparency, you know what needs to shift next, right? What needs to change next. So. Okay. And, and then he's got a new DevOps handbook out that came after uh, Phoenix Project. Okay. So if I'm working in an organization and we're using some kind of cloud services, but we still have a lot of this legacy stuff, do you have recommendations on how to get started or how to get our handle around, you know, get a handle on what the actual problems are, how to see them better? Like, how do we go about fixing it? Yeah, so... Um, I'm going to reference Leading Agile's uh, Basecamp model, which is really important. We have these basically five stages, right, of um, where an organization is in terms of its degree of agility. Um, you have to come in and do an assessment and figure out and have the honest conversation around where is your IT infrastructure system in its journey towards agility. Okay. All right. Uh, 
the uh, out of out of that assessment comes basically some recommendations, and then we use our approach, which is literally get control of the system. And the way we get control of the system sometimes is really disruptive. So we have to plan for that disruption using uh, awareness, knowledge, training, um, and even does, you know getting into the ag car transformation model. Uh, you have to literally let people have the desire because what you're going to end up doing, a lot of people who probably have their hands uh, on controls are used to actually having their hands on the console. And IT, uh, agile IT operations literally is is not, uh, nobody's hands are on, on the uh, So everything's keyboard. automated. So if we automate all this yeah. stuff, what happens to those people? They lose their job? No, absolutely not. So you've got, uh, I'm going to use some uh, ITIL information, uh, I don't know, idle anyway. Um, <laughs> For those of you playing at home, ITIL. Yeah, <laughs> ITIL, yeah, it's a buzzword bingo, right? Um, I'm going to use some of those terms. So they have this idea of service strategy, service design. They don't talk about service development because they just assume that happens in a vacuum for some reason. Okay. And then you have a service transition and service um, delivery. So that that process from end to end, and it's a clo- it's a circular loop that feeds on itself. Uh, closely mirrors into leading agile's uh, governance model where we have strategy and portfolio management and program tier. Well, this, the IT strategy perfectly fits into the strategy and portfolio tier. The service design perfectly fits into our program tier. And the other aspects perfectly fit down in the, the delivery tier. In those, I use Kanban, Kanban, and either Kanban or Scrum. So where do those people go to? They usually go to a service design team. Okay. Or a service development team, where they're basically building out templates and the automation, testing, you know, doing test-driven automation. What do you, can you give an example of a template? Yeah, so a template would be like an image of a machine, a, dis- a disk image. That uh, it's not just a disk image. So okay. we have something called infrastructure as code, where literally it's a disk image, but it's a flexible disk image in that you keep an XML file or a configuration file off to the side that when you run the automation, it pulls down that disk image, but then generates a specific instance of a Oh, with, with modifications and stuff like with that. With modifications and all that stuff, right? Okay. But it's all orchestrated through something like uh, Jenkins, right? Okay. Or, or something else, where Jenkins is literally looking at uh, a, say, in this case, a Git repository where someone has changed um, one of those configurations. It goes, oh, okay, that's great. Then I need to... Uh, say for patch management. All right? yeah. So the latest version of a particular set of libraries is held inside that Git repository. And when Jenkins sees it, it says, great, then I just update the template Got it. in an automated way. right? And, and it tests it. It literally goes and says, all right, good. Those particular patches get deployed correctly. Great. Now I'm going to move it into a dev environment. I'm going to run a bunch of tests and the pen, penetration tests and the hardening tests and all those things. 
and then I'm going to move it up to the next environment and next environment. And I'm going to make sure that when I do that, I'm going to start actually adding in the DevOps stuff, which actually deploys the code on it and runs the code test too. Okay. So I'm not just testing the software package anymore. I'm testing the server package too, the actual server. Yeah. And everything just literally moves itself, all of it, through the different environments. Okay. So basically, I want to say this in the simplest way because I'm trying to process it all in my head too. We're automating every single – we're trying to automate as much as we can from the point of I need something from technology to the point where it's in play and we're working with it on a consistent basis and finding ways to get faster – but the challenge that we're going to run into is all going to be based upon the administrative component. So not necessarily configuration of anything, but how fast the company is able to cope with the creation of stuff. And the cope, cope with the change and release management aspects. Yeah. Okay. So if we are deploying 50 servers a day, but from an administrative standpoint, they're only able to realize or, or just become aware of, you know, two or three created a week, there's tech, administrative, an administrative version of technical debt. I would say that, or organizational debt, if you will. Okay, because they, they're always running behind what's actually happening. Exactly. And, you know, those, those functions are, it's kind of interesting. So in, in the case study, which I hope we get to, um, we're not there yet, but we already recognize that we have to bring, stop looking at security and stop looking at uh, uh, configuration management and release management as groups, functions within an organization, but as skills that you actually migrate into a cross-functional IT operations team. Okay. So let's talk about the case study. All right. So the case study, uh, large insurance company, they've been uh, practicing agile practices, Scrum, uh, some of our uh, scaled practices uh, from leading Agile using our model, doing great, but then they reached this limit where they're like, well, we, you know, we don't think we can go any further. And so then we started having a discussion around, well, why is that? And some of it was just IT operations. So IT operations was going through this reorganization and we found an opportunity there and said, hey, let's, Let's see if I can take a Linux server build process, which going through all the long steps of DNS provisioning, which is in the network group, uh, server hardening, which is over in the security group, um, network scans is over in the security group, you know, all these different groups within an organization. Let's build a team with all the skills on it and see how fast we can actually create a server as a service that would be listed on a uh, dashboard where you can fill out a form and hit go and it provisions a server. Okay. Uh, We're not quite there. We were only through the first stage, but we went from 15 days down to right at 15 minutes. And right now we still have four more uh, sections of automation to implement. So that's that's a pretty huge thing. I mean, it's huge from from the idea of providing increased capability for the people doing the work, but it's also huge if you think about it from the other side where there is this burden 
from an operations standpoint. They're accustomed to 15 days. Now you're rolling that stuff out every 15 minutes. That's too many plates for them to carry at one time, probably. It, it is, but because of the automation and the orchestration layer above it, it's actually not. We're now starting to leverage, um, and, and these are all legacy systems, right? We're now starting to leverage what used to be a sysadmin working in um, yeah. on on you know one to maybe 50, 25 is the upper threshold. I, I can't remember what the exact number is for for the industry of actual physical servers. They're moving those into a virtualized environment first, okay. and that we're getting close to that one to four hundred. So now you've got a system administrator or a team of system administrators that can go. What's well, four hundred times five? What is that? Almost almost two thousand servers. Is that right? If I'm doing math. Yeah. Math wasn't my cool. Yeah, I'm only point. on my first cup of coffee, so math's sort of a struggle for me right now. But I think you're right. So, yeah. Doesn't I mean this is. I guess my concern is if I come from the old school, which I do, where I would create a Gantt chart with a task list of everything that had to you know do to to stand up a server and get it going, and yeah, it'd probably take fifteen days. Now I'm automating everything, so I'm pushing a button. All of that happens at once, which is awesome. But if I'm on the op side, I used to have much greater awareness of what was going on. I felt like I had visibility because stuff happened at a slow enough pace that I could actually watch it happening. Now you're talking about the equivalent of the average person going up to stand in front of a major league pitcher and seeing a ball, not even being able to see the ball coming towards the plate at 90 miles an hour. How does yeah. ops develop the, the ability? I mean, yes, they're the bottleneck. So if in the value stream, that becomes a bottleneck because that's the slowest part and it's jammed up. But how did they develop the capability to actually see that ball moving at 90 miles an hour? Great question. I, I find that, uh, it, yeah, I mean, you're raising a concern that the compliance folks raise all the time. How do I know you did all these yeah, things? Yeah, because there's a total lack of trust. I mean, I don't trust it. it <laughs> trust but verify no we just don't trust right i trust so, the machines will take over and that they can't be trusted so well i mean listen <laughs> i mean let's get to the pragmatic reality that we're talking about a part of the organization that is what hackers target is if they can you know get the, control the greatest of weakness is the humans yeah yeah so what we're trying to do is use logs, right, to show and use testing, right, to show that not only are we doing this at, at, at lightning speed, but we're doing it in a repeatable process that's verifiable, not by a human, but by an actual test. Now, it, there's there's challenges in there, right? Because you, you then you get into the, the challenge of, okay, however, how well are the tests written? Right. And that's that's always going to be a good question, right? Um, so you, you have to build a continuous improvement process around that. But still, I mean, it's it's a pretty strong argument where I can look at a log that says all these things happen, all these tests pass. That's a lot better than some human. And I'm sorry to all my fellow humans, but it's a lot better than a human literally looking at a checklist and checking off everything. Okay, it's but hold on. So I want to... I'm going to play on the opposite side of the Moneyball conversation for a second. So you're right, but 
I think there's something to be said for somebody who's got the experience and the knowledge that maybe they're looking at the checklist and everything's been checked off, but there's symptoms across different parts of the organization. They've got a wider scope of view and there's these smells that come up and they're like, no, this is, I saw this before. And right after this happened, we had a meltdown somewhere. Um, do you think that we can actually get to the point if we have all these logs and all, everything's happening this fast where we can have algorithms or whatever that are looking for patterns of things across the network to tell us when maybe everything's showing up green because the tests that we wrote were the best tests we could write at the time, but these things combined, it's weakness. Yeah, that's – so part of this is um... – when IT operations uh, really becomes collaborative with the DevOps groups or with DevOps, whether it be a group or built into the Agile development team, what you're looking at now is the same problem as you have in software development where the goal is to practice in as many ways the migrations, the movements, the same amount of unit testing, integration testing, and system testing, and then you know multi-system testing that you want to get in software, you need to have that as a goal in hardware or infrastructure as code. Okay. That's and then there's a, a um, you know using leading agile's model, uh, I'll say that this is also where the program structure and the service design part of the product owner uh, group or product owner cloud comes into play because you have to have those subject matter ex experts inside that group who are sitting back going, all right, I see what we're doing in this service design. Are we taking into account, you know, this thing that happened in production, that thing that happened in production. And those things, um, as part of IT operations, IT operations now should be using some type of agile management system that actually captures very much the way that most organizations capture in operations today, where they have a production incident that turns into root cause analysis, turns into a uh, some kind of action report or a problem uh report that then needs to go into the backlog of a service team to deal with, right? To prevent it from happening in the future. It, it's very much, very much like the way that you would handle a defect okay. in agile software development. Okay. So one of the things you said a few minutes ago that, that struck me that I think is really important. And I'm, for my money, it's, it's, it's where I would hope we're all going to end up being. You talked about practicing. Um, everybody's been so focused on deliverables and outcomes with software, you know, or if it's a network with a server, whatever. But I think for people that are, my opinion is that professionals in this field, um, it's not, it, the, the, the outcomes of deliverables are important, but to me, it's the practice of honing your craft and getting better at seeing this stuff and becoming more aware of it and finding a way to, to develop the art of solving these problems is, to me, is the key that what helps people get ready for whatever's coming next. But um. no, you're you're onto something there because it's uh, part of our engagement model, part of what we stand up. 
isn't just the practices and the process and all that stuff. That's fine. But what we also look for is the centers of excellence and communities of practice. Uh, uh, Spotify uses terms like uh, guilds, right? right? So it's creating that knowledge share, that way of personal development, professional development within teams that cross multiple disciplines because in I you know we talk about in software developments you know analysis design construction and testing right right <laughs> well imagine all those four disciplines but also based on different types of hardware such as uh, storage management right you've got all these sands sitting around okay well that's a very unique discipline how do you create a cross-functional team where some person, every person on the team has certain degree of all that analysis, design, yeah. construction, testing skill for that particular type of hardware piece versus another type of hardware piece, which may be, you know, a, a VMware infrastructure where you've got, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand servers sitting there all with these virtual switches and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. So it's. I mean, the magnitude. It sounds to me like the the, mag, the the scale of that is the difference between when I was a kid. If I had to do research, I'd go to the library, go to the card catalog, find a source, go take out that source, and look through the index for a specific comment on the, the thing I'm researching. Or now I can type into Google and it searches everything at once. Yeah, it's it's almost that degree of difference. Uh, it, I tell folks. You've got to not just implement IT teams, you know, service design teams, service construction teams that are cross-functional, but you also have to put that structure around them in order to make them successful long-term. The centers of excellence, the communities of practice, the governance, uh, the governance model, okay, the professional development model. Cool. So I, I want to ask you one more question about this. How, if I've been listening to this, I'm some operations executive. Um, how do I get started with this? Like, what is, where's a place or where can I get more information about it? Where can I start to, to develop the ability to focus on this? In some ways, I don't know how mature this is as an idea in, in our community, right? Okay. I, I think there's a lot of us thinking about it, but there's not a lot of us doing it. Um, so finding information is tough. Right? Okay. So, um, so, all right. So, so if the, inf- if this is, like I said before, you tend to be fairly on the edge of stuff, like the cutting edge of stuff. <laughs> I mean, you are, you, you may not feel that way, but for the rest of us, we're like, what? And in, in, in two years from now, we're going to be like, Oh, remember Devin was talking about that. Um, if I am somebody who, who has this need and if there's not a ton of information, I mean, we talked about before, before the interview we started, we talked about trying to use lean practices to, to develop awareness of, I'm assuming where the waste in the system is and the value stream there and things like that. Can exactly. I start to do that? Can you talk about that briefly? Yeah. So, um, I, I guess if I was going to start somewhere, I'd start with a simple assessment and then go map your existing value stream. Right. A, a, a basic as is to be, and then a change strategy. All right. Just basic consulting one oh one. Right. Now in it operations that, that takes on a different, different character for us we really like to have a great in-state vision that we're gonna 
you know, cast for nine months, maybe even a year and a half. What does it need to look like a year and a half out? Yeah. And then let's build our slices of the organization that need to shift and, you know, moving them from base camp to base camp to base camp. And how do we orchestrate that on a, a, a holistic roadmap, right? Okay. The way we do that, of course, in the actual pragmatic changes is literally implementing the stuff. We use lean, all right? So we, we agree on the goals. We visualize the work. We limit whip. We calculate our queue size. We measure and manage flow. Um, you know, we make our policies very explicit. We hard code them into a orchestration tool to make those policies explicit so that, you know, it's no longer having to rely on humans for enforcement or uh, even, I'll call it discipline, right? Because discipline in IT operations is it's actually hard because it's so critical. Yeah. It's really hard for humans to do that. So we can take some of that away, put it in the automation, and that frees them up for thinking about the bigger things, like how do these things need to work? You know, How does A and B need to work together? That's stuff that technology is not very good at. So we make the policies ex- explicit, and then literally we drive metrics, right? We use metrics to improve. So so one thing I'd like to point out too is that um, while this might be sort of newish as a topic into the field, if if you are somebody who's in ops um, and you have these any kind of awareness of where what you're doing is the thing that slows stuff down. This is a great way to establish yourself as a as a thought leader in the organization as well. If you can find this waste and suss it out and push for change, I mean that's that's definitely I would think going to get you a lot of props in the organization. Absolutely, um, and you know, as new and you said cutting edge as this is, I, I don't even see it that way. I see this just as a culmination of a whole lot of ideas that are likely sitting around in organizations that they just haven't realized how to put them together in a combination that gets them agility. Yeah, I, I guess I'm thinking more of like the masses of people out there that are still finding their way to Agile and DevOps to begin with. Um, yeah. So I, I said I wasn't going to ask you any more questions, but I'm looking at my notes and there is one thing I forgot to ask you. So I've got one final question. How does this, if I'm an organization that has decided to switch to scaled agile framework or, you know, large scale scrum or something like that, some scaling option for the enterprise level, how does this play into that? They're deeply interconnected. Um, Folks who are going after safe, safe has some assumptions in it that there's a system team and that system team is a cross-functional system team. Most organizations don't have that. So if you're going after SAFE, if you haven't started to implement some of this stuff, you're, you're going to run into challenges, right? SAFE also makes some assumptions around DevOps but isn't prescriptive of DevOps. And, you know, it's not – it's a framework, right? Right. But I find that if you don't have DevOps, you don't have the infrastructure set up in a way that supports teams – you're going to end up with teams doing scrum waterfall. Yeah, you're going to be Just, you're, you're hampered by the organization's responsiveness. Yeah, exactly. I mean, literally, they they will be like, okay, I'm waiting on an environment. Yeah, they're the, Great. They're the we'll wait around your month. neck. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's just not gonna it's not gonna be there in a timely manner. And oh, you know. Next sprint, we just realized we did a spike and we did the spike solution in the dev environment, but that's going to be requiring four more servers. Q2 
can you get that to me tomorrow because we're doing a migration? Yeah. You know, if, if the organization isn't there, doesn't have this stuff in that, um, they're, they're, they're going to, I don't like to use the word because it's still got a negative connotation, even though I, I see it's just a learning opportunity. They're going to fail. Failure's right? a gift. It's a gift, right? It's the first available instance of learning. <laughs> see, I don't uh, think, I, I would never say feedback is a gift, but I would say that failure is a gift. Yeah, it is. Um, you're going to fail, all right? And, and so then it's, all right, let's go address this because you, you shouldn't even try and move forward. You can you can keep your scrum teams going, but just understand they're going to have a tendency to fall back to little mini waterfalls. Yeah, I think, scrum. I mean, it seems to me like a lot of us, a lot of it hinges on at the individual and organizational level, people's willingness to be, unblinking in the face of transparency. Like we all think transparency sounds great, but then when we look at it, we're like, yeah, let's cover that back up. Cause that's gross. And to be able to stare at the things that are wrong and keep trying to raise your awareness of where the slow points are, where the things you can tweak and fix are and where you're failing and why, I mean, that's, that takes a lot of energy. It, it does. It unmasks sometimes a, a, a very, personal thing with leaders where leaders see themselves as people of integrity. Yeah. And then not and, so much. Sometimes. And then <laughs> when it comes to this, if they're not willing to do it, and you know what, I, I will give you this, that most leaders, good leaders don't shirk. But we're all human. I mean, every one of but us faces are, stuff where yeah. we're like, ah, that's not, I'm not doing that. Um, yeah. So, Cool. All right. So if people want to find you, they can go to, to your Twitter, to, to Agile Devin. They can go to the Leading Agile site, and I'll have a link in the show notes to your profile page there. They can yep. find you on LinkedIn. Um, anywhere else you want these people to track you down? You want to give out your home address or anything like that? Uh, you can find that. It's out on the internet, but <laughs> please don't show up. Um, At midnight yeah, on Christmas. No, that's probably the best way. I mean, I've got my own personal site, but I don't push that because it's, it's more about uh, – I'll call it world transformation and, and actually trying to solve large problems with with civilizations and governments and things like that, which is transformation most people aren't thinking because about. Because Agile's not complex enough. You need to go after the hard <laughs> That's good. I like the big problems, man. It's got to be hard or it's not fun. Cool. All right, man. Thanks a lot for doing this. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 